speaking of football, who better than to introduce right now than Mr. Football when it comes to the media in the state of Utah, Kurt G. Cragthorpe. Delightful the, to be here. The Patrick. G stands for go long. <laughs> Amazing what comes out through your mind at a moment's notice sometimes. I did just make that up. <laughs> Comes from a long line of football people. Father, brother, I think your mother coached a little football back in the day, huh? She knows more about football than <laughs> I do, I guarantee it. Well, as a uh, wife of a football coach for many, many years, how long did your dad coach? Well, it depends what you count, but it had to be in the 35-year range. Yes. So that is long-time coaching. So spouses, they have to learn something about it. Just last summer, I was talking to Norm Chow's wife. I went and visited him in Manhattan Beach, California, when I think the Utes were playing in, playing in the Rose Bowl. Right? They play on a Friday night? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then the next day, I, I went over there and uh, spent some time with him. And certainly, she had some stories over the years. Uh, and is your dad still doing anything with Utah State? Not officially. And that was actually a little bit exaggerated what his role was in the in the past few years but he was very close to Matt Wells personally and so he probably went to practice just about every day just to watch but to, oh, to say he had any kind of role was was misleading so kind of an unofficial advisor yeah not even that but you just like being around he still he still thinks of himself as an offensive line coach so he actually would watch the film with the offensive line oh really in a while. okay yeah sure. I guess once it gets in the blood, it doesn't go until you go. Pretty much, <laughs> yep. All right, well, you are entering your second year covering the University of Utah football, and you've also been in this community, what, 40 years? Then? Yeah, I've been literally working full-time in Salt Lake for 37 years and lived in the state. This is my 50th year of Utah residency. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah, who better, man? You obviously have a lot of knowledge, and your father used to coach at the at BYU during uh, what, with the beginning of the glory days? Is that accurate? Yeah, and that was a kind of a fun at period of of BYU football. In that, at the time he arrived in 1970, Tommy Hudspeth as the head coach, Lavelle Edwards was the defensive coordinator. My dad was the offensive coordinator, although Tommy ran the offense. There were no expectations, no history, no pattern of success for BYU football so to see that evolve into a Western Athletic Conference contender and champion a few times in that decade of the 70s with, with the advent of throwing the football was, yeah. was was really rewarding and and so it was it was I have that perspective that some people don't that uh, I think fans have some sense of entitlement uh, if they if they're just tuning in to BYU football, for example, and then you probably make the same case about Utah football, really, in recent years. But but knowing where those programs came from gives me a little bit different viewpoint. Yeah, we were just talking. We do a thing uh, every day now. We're counting down to today's the 87th day until uh, the start of college football, which in this case this year is BYU Utah. And uh, Yach does a thing for us, and he was talking about in 1987, the Cougars were just finishing up their ninth win in a row. 
which was the longest uh, streak. And could you ever imagine, if you were around in 1987, I was not around here. I'm living, at that point, I'm, well, I was in California. In 1987, if you were living here and were a fan of the U of U, could you imagine any point that going forward that they would be going for their ninth consecutive win? I would imagine the answer would be absolutely no. No, particularly if you look at the celebration that ensued in 88 when they broke that streak. And and what, the, what was that? That was the, the right. I know. The, what was the celebration? Oh, it was just a, a huge deal. I mean, they didn't even go to a bowl game that year. Of course, it was it was a different era. It, you didn't you didn't qualify just by having a winning season or Correct. a five hundred season. Yeah. But yeah, it was just it was just uh, I don't know how to describe. So that would have been the last game of the season. Their season's over, and they just snapped a nine-game losing streak to BYU. Right, and that, but what they didn't know is another long streak would ensue. About, about <laughs> at least, what would it be? Five more games. Yeah. Or yeah, four more probably before Mac, Ron McBride kind of turned that thing back around. But to your point, it's it's no one would have ever imagined from the BYU perspective that they would ever be good enough to beat Utah nine times in a row if you live through the 50s, 60s, back, and you, 70s. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, when LaBelle Edwards took over the the program at BYU, the record against Utah was 5-37-4. and four. Think Wow. About, think about that. 5-37. and 37. Wow. Well, don't forget the four because those were celebrated as victories. <laughs> okay. The four right. ties. We tied. <laughs> Absolutely. There was probably even a 0-0 tie in there somewhere, but... But yeah, so it's so. Who knows where it goes from here? What what the next twenty, thirty, forty years look like? But the point is that if you look back over the last sixty years, there's there's been these cycles, and it and so each team has had a nine game winning streak at some point. Now Utah's nine game winning streak probably was only interrupted by a tie. They probably won. They probably didn't lose for a period of about. 16 games in the okay yeah 30s 40s and 50s and but. so here we are today now because you've been around for so long i only go back 27 years which doesn't seem 26 years doesn't seem like that long uh and you go back for so long can you recall i certainly can't at any point even though they had two undefeated seasons had can you recall maybe you maybe you disagree expectations being higher than what they are right now uh higher no and the 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 only comparable period would would be urban going into urban meyer's second year coming off the what was it 10 and 2 season 10 and 2 yes even though the last two games were wins of three to nothing against byu and 17 to nothing versus southern miss with with the offense accounting for about three of those points so didn't didn't have quite the momentum that that might appear, but but that was when they did the famous commercial series about you ain't seen nothing yet, and you being the rock and roll aficionado knows exactly where that stems from. Absolutely, I mean the spinners, <laughs> <laughs> Bachman Turner overdrive. So yeah, so that so that, and some people actually were worried that. The school was setting up Urban to fail by having him do those commercials about there's you know basically saying ten and two is just the start. Uh-huh. But sure enough, they they followed through and did that. So yeah, so to your point, I 
it does it does kind of remind me of that. Uh, it was a different era, obviously, in the Mountain West, and and people were barely even willing to talk about the idea of getting into a BCS game, which they ultimately did by playing in the Fiesta Bowl that year. But that was that was uncharted territory, and and certainly nothing guaranteed. Whereas going into this year, people know that if they win the Pac-12 championship game, they would go to the Rose Bowl, unless right. unless it's the playoff somehow, well, it, which it won't e- be. But either or, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So that so that the 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 mythical Rose Bowl kind of adds a whole new dimension to it. Correct. And plus, you have this jumping off point, of, or you could say it's a baseline that okay, if you got to the championship game last year, that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the next year, I understand. Now, the asterisk on all of that is that there's only one team in the history of the Pac-12, which is eight seasons, that has won the South two years in a row. Right. Even in that comes with its own explanation, which was UCLA didn't really win it the first year. It was because USC was Bruce. ineligible. Yeah. But the fact is, the Bruins played in the championship game in 2011, and then they, they under in Jim Moore's first year, actually did win the South. So they were technically repeat champions, and and went to the championship game again. Of course, they lost it. So, so if, if Utah is going to repeat as a South champion, that hasn't been done since 2012, and if they go on and win the the championship game, no team has. From the South, at least. Now, I'd have to look and see if... Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can basically say that, that nobody from the North either has lost the championship game one year and won it the next, right? So it's not as automatic as you'd like to believe. Uh, it's, it, the Jazz history being a good example of that, you always think, okay, if you make the first round of the playoffs, you should make the second round the next year, you should make the conference finals the next year. It sort of worked like that in the Malone-Stockton era, but not exactly because there were some first-round losses mm-hmm. yeah. mixed into there. So it's just not quite as simple as, as picking up where you left off and, and making the next step. But the way Utah personnel shapes up, they have that opportunity. So they would be the first team in the South to show any form of consistency. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so it's like we all know they're going to be picked first in the official media poll when it comes out on July 24th. Zero doubt in my mind. But So what I need to do is go back and look. And I, logically, almost every defending champion has been picked first. But the, the point being that basically no one has followed through and done that. It's, it's, those preseason polls and I'm a voter I should know are largely based on what you did the previous year and so history shows that the defending champ usually gets voted number one as the favorite but rarely fulfills that yes I I can understand that uh, that that makes sense that they would be I think, though, in this case, that it, it, it goes beyond that. It's not simply that they won it last year. I don't know that that's just exactly, well, let's default. 
if anybody is defaulting in this conference, we're defa- or in this division, certainly, we're defaulting to SC. So I don't think we default to Utah because of what they did. It's not a default vote in this preseason poll, recognizing that the poll could either be dead on or it could be wildly off because one year Colorado was picked sixth and won the whole thing in, in the South anyway. Um, but I believe that, and you'll know, what you'll hear, you'll know Whittingham will go down there, bless his heart. The polls don't mean anything. You know, you can hear Mr. Tough Guy talk. I'm going to tell him to shut up uh, because I also, in, in your research between now and then, at least somebody like me, and I don't vote because they don't view radio as legitimate, so my 24 years in newspapers don't count for anything. Uh, but I believe... And check this out, at least from my perspective, most of the time I'm getting it right or I'm getting it close to it. And it's not, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying the media, the guys and gals who focus on this every day have a pretty good idea. And we're, we may not get it right, but we're at least ballpark uh, close to being right. We may miss a team or two if somebody finishes third or and you pick them fourth or something like that. But there's not a huge variance in what we're saying and what actually comes to pass. Colorado being the exception, right? They went from sixth to, to first that year. I don't even remember the year. I'd have to go back and see. You know, what, 2016. What were the circumstances that led to that? But nevertheless, they did it. Uh, but mo- my point is, most of the time, we're pretty accurate. When you st- Go ahead and look that up. You can, I'm sure you can find it. And and see here that the the picks to me what I, I I can pretty much tell you what it's going to be right now. You're going to pick Colorado sixth. You're going to pick Utah first, and then I think it'll be SC, and then it'll be either ASU or Arizona. So third or fourth, fourth or third, and then the Bruins fifth. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm very curious to see who will be picked second. In that consensus, I believe it's SC. Who else would it be? The magazines are all over the map. I've seen USC, I've seen UCLA, I've seen Arizona State. There's no way. UCLA was not a bad team by the end of last year. Finished stronger, but you're also comparing it to the start. True. You're not. You're not comparing them to winning games. You're comparing them to how pathetic they were early. And so they had two nice games at the end of the season. They took the Devils of the Wire and they beat SC. And so that's what we're going on. And that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, And I I also think, with that in mind, two through five, flip a coin. Chuck it up in the air. That's the the way the South's always been. However it comes down. And I also think that Colorado – with that receiver whose name is always difficult for me to pronounce. LaVisca Chenault, yeah. <laughs> Jr. And Montez coming back at quarterback, that they're going to beat somebody. I don't know who it is, yeah. but I don't think they're going to go 0-5 in the South. They're going to beat somebody. Sure. I, I'm not, I can't tell you who it is right now, first week of June. So I don't think they're trash. I don't think they're – they're not Oregon State bad. Right, they're gonna they're going to win. Maybe at least two conference games, maybe three. Sure, it is, yeah. it's very rare that a team goes right zero and nine or one right. and eighty. And they're going to beat somebody. They're they're going to beat a contender. 
Yeah, that's the nature of this league, and yeah. it, it speaks to the whole, you know, the beauty of the Pac-12 or the problem is that there are no great dominant teams, and therefore, to me, it actually makes it more fun because totally to your point. There, there aren't a lot of uh, gimmies on anybody's schedule. No, no, and it makes every Saturday or Thursday or Friday, whatever it might be, it makes it entertaining, and it's why we're sitting there, uh, depending on what we're doing that particular day, uh, watching Pac-12 football hours on end until midnight. And we're just, what are you going to do that's going to surprise me? I mean, last year at the time, didn't turn out that way. But at the time, Colorado was a contender when they lost at home to Oregon State. And that was a shocker. Right. An absolute stunner of a result of a game. I, I've said this with DJ many times. I believe there's two to three completely, totally head-scratchers every year in this conference. Stuff that you just do not see. There's no way you would have predicted it, but nevertheless, it happens. And Oregon State, Colorado last year, I think was uh, – at the top of the list. And well, then, especially the way it happened. Yeah, you have yeah, like yeah. a 21 point lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At home. Right. Second half. And they they lose an OT. Uh, and I think, didn't it go to OT because uh, Oregon State missed a PAT? And then, the, but they came back and still won the game. Uh, but they missed a PAT because I, I, the other night on the Pac 12 network, they had the, like the 12 best games or something. And that was on that list. Uh, interestingly, the conference games. 12 best, they had BYU-Utah in that. And that was another. That wasn't a conference game, but, you know, you're up by 20 twice, and then you lose the game. That was a stunner. So, when we come back, these expectations for the Utes are extremely high. Are they too high? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. David James is out, and Kurt Cragthorpe who uh, covers the University of Utah football for the Salt Lake Tribune and has been around longer than dirt on the Utah football scene, breaking down Utes right now. I asked the question before we went to break, expectations too much this season? And I think they are. Well, it depends whose expectations you're talking about. Media and fans. So what, what, what is the consensus expectation then? There's always going to be extremes, right? And I think uh, fans and media this year, local media, have extremely high expectations. I think too high. And what I mean by that, so certainly to win the South. And I've got no problem. The way I look at it with the preseason poll that will come out on the 24th, we'll be down there broadcasting, they'll be picked first. So a preseason poll is based on a couple of things. It's based on your success from the prior year, based on the number of returners you have, plus the teams around you, in this case, the other five teams in the South. So nobody, because SC sucked last year at relative to any SC standard, and most standards, they were under 500, you can't pick them. And that's what I was saying earlier. When there's a default, you usually go to SC. This is So Utah is not being picked because it's a default. It's because they deserve it. I agree. Now, now that's the criteria, but that's that's preseason criteria poll, which then doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to turn out. It's the it's the logical pick 
using the three things that I just said. Last year, number of starters returning and competition in that, which would be the South, the other five teams. And, you know, if the Devils had uh, what's-his-face, Wilkins coming back, it would be another story. And, and Nikhil Harry and Wilkins was a senior, Harry's a junior. If those two would come back, you can make an argument. But they're gone. So they're going to have a brand-new quarterback that usually doesn't bode well. Two years ago, when the Utes had a brand-new quarterback. They went, uh, what, 7-5. and five. And so you, you – or even 6-6, six and six, I think it was. So you need time to let the kid develop a little bit. And SC, last year, new quarterback, they struggle. So Devils certainly don't deserve to be picked uh, first. Utah does. So now, these expectations, that's fine. You pick them first. But what I'm hearing, man, it's just too much. Because they could conceivably go 10-2 and two and not win the South and with the expectation, spin that as a disappointment. And I say if they go 10-2 and two and don't win the South, no way is that a, a disappointing, didn't meet expectation season. I agree because it's not inconceivable. You could be 10-2, and two, not win the South, and go to a New Year's Six game. Right. But I, I'll, having said that, I don't know how the math works. So you're basically saying you could be seven and two mm-hmm. and not win the South. Yes, that seems weird to me. Why? Because seven and two always wins the South. There's never been two seven and two teams in the South. But there could be. That was. It seems unlikely. It's unpredictable. It does seem unlikely. Okay, right. but SC gets it together. Daniels has a year under his belt. Uh, Harold comes in, and he knows what he's doing. And they have some stability there. And the coaching settles down a little bit. They get off to a real good start. That takes the pressure off. They hit their groove. They got a number of athletes there. Oh, yeah. You know, they've got great receivers. they got great running backs. So, so what you're saying is that, that Utah loses to USC – both teams finish seven and two, mm-hmm. and USC goes to the championship. Well, game. any any team that you want to put in there, but SC would be a logical. I just pick SC as a logical okay. candidate. So that I I can't dismiss that possibility. First of all, I always you talk about defaulting to USC. No one has defaulted to USC more than I have in the history of predictions. All stemming from my dad's experience at Oregon State playing the Trojans every year. Nightmares. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've had a few. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he'll, 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 he'll be lying in rest seeing the Trojan horse running around the Coliseum yeah. track. Right. Based on the— Which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, but he, it does <laughs> I, in his mind. I ran on that track once. <laughs> I heard that story last week. The, yeah. uh, the Pete Carroll 5K or whatever it was. <laughs> it was the junior achievement. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and we finished running through so the So anyway, tunnel. so no, yeah, so f- first of all, for, for me to witness a USC team go 5-7 and seven last year and to see the product they put on the field at Rice-Eccles Stadium— Never mind that they were leading 14 to nothing. That was a vastly inferior team to Utah. Yeah, it's nothing that we've seen. And I worked in the L.A. market for 10 years and had an opportunity to cover games there. So we're all well aware of that. How about Khalil Tate catches fire? And last year was an anomaly because they had a first-year coaching staff. And and who's the the coordinator's famous? I can't think of his name right now. Uh, He gets it going on. A guy was at A&M. With, no Mazzoni. Right. Yeah, and then he was at ASU. He's at UCLA. He's right. been around forever. And he figures out a way 
to the, the kid stays healthy. I mean, obviously he was bruised and battered and shattered when he came up here last year, but he regains his form. They use him in the right way. He stays healthy, and they become what they were expected to be last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying all these teams are capable of, of rising up and having a good year. I'm just saying it's almost mathematically impossible to end up with two seven and two teams. But all right, I one, think one has an eight and one team then. Yeah, that would that would be shocking to me. Uh, you can easily see, well, not easily, but easily forecastable to see the Utes losing two conference games. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's I that's the baseline. Okay, for example, let me I'll give you this mathematical formula. This guy Bill Connolly does the S and P statistical ratings. Okay, he's he's gone through every game. That's salt and pepper. I don't. Salt and pepper. <laughs> the S and P plus rankings is what they're technically termed. Thank you, okay. Jake. Okay. So hey, don't so I, the, don't ever say cut him down. Cut, cut that out. Oh, saying I'm, cut, I'm cutting that. No, <laughs> no problem. All right. So he's gone through, and he's he's assigned a probability of of every every game. Okay, and in Utah's case, he's got them as the favorite. In eleven of the twelve games, okay. All right, that's way over the top. No, but here's the point. Mathematically, if you know the science of probability, as oh, he, boy. just because you're favored in eleven games, it doesn't mean you're going to win eleven games. The probability says, for, for example, they're they're favored by. They have a sixty percent chance of winning some of those games. Okay, okay. so if you, if you have a sixty percent chance of winning every game. The probability says you're going to lose two or three of those games. Okay. Yeah, but that's, that's right now. That that probability could increase, could True. decrease, yeah, but it could variables. increase when we get there. Yeah. So, but the point being is, so it, it, this whole notion of the word expectations needs to be better defined for us to have this discussion. But they are through the roof. I hear they've got the greatest defensive line they've ever had, greatest defensive backfield, deepest running back core. They've got quarterbacks who've got winning experience. The only thing they don't have of the main, they don't have the punter and kicker, but they pull rabbits out of the hat on those two the last 20 years, it seems, and then they book their trip to Atlanta to win the awards. And away they go. And now they get both kids got drafted. So the reality is they, they should suffer just based on that standard. I mean, how many, how many times have they had both punter and kicker drafted? How many schools does that ever happen to ever? I don't even know if it's ever happened. Some Probably someplace. Uh, but the only option, the only questions they have is a couple offensive linemen. Everything else is the best ever. That's over the top. Yeah, I don't think people are saying it's the best ever. Are they saying Tyler Huntley's the best quarterback ever? No, but they're talking about the quality and the the depth. Okay, and I and I and it should be. There's no reason this should not be in year nine of the Pac-12 membership. This should be the best Utah football team ever. Mm. See, why why not? Because it's year forty for Arizona and ASU. So with that logic, they should have the best ever, but they don't. Right, but it's not always. I'm not saying <laughs> year twelve is going to be better than year nine, but there should be some kind of growth pattern. So should be for Colorado, and they're on their third coach. Well, they won the South in their sixth year in the league, and and so did the Arizonas, and you just mentioned Mora, right. and three years later they got new coaches, right? And well, they're paying ten million dollars for guys to go away. That is the phenomenon of the South that that 
every coach who's won it has been fired. Meanwhile, the basically. porpoise and the turtle, Whittingham, just keeps plodding along. Right. And he's not going to get fired. Harlan's not going to touch him. He's going to quit when he wants to quit. Right. So, I, But anyway, so I think we, we're, we're having two different discussions here. Right. You're we're, having the wrong one. I'm having the right one. Well, you, you, that's because your mind jumps all over the place. You, you can't stay on track. You're talking about two different things. You're talking about the Utes going 7-2 and two in the league and yet not winning it. Okay, to me, that's, that's not the discussion. The discussion is, are they good enough to go 7-2 and two in the league? And then yes. whatever happens. Yes. Okay. So, so you're, you're With whole, question marks. So your whole— Asterisks. Right. So your whole— problem if that's the right word with the quote expectations is that just because the Utes win seven games in the conference that might not be good enough might not be but you don't you don't have a problem with saying they're going to win seven games in the league that I that's correct I will also even downgrade it to one more if they go nine and three I think that's an outstanding season but right now you go on the street and ask 10 sober Ute fans if you can find them Say nine and three, you take it. Nine out of ten are saying no. Okay, and the reason why is because because this pattern that we've talked about. If you're a fan, you you think of the previous year as the starting point. You never think you're going to do the exact same as the previous year, much less worse than the previous year. So your mindset is we're going to do slightly better the next year. So I understand that. Yeah, but they would instantly say no. And they shouldn't instantly say no. And I'll tell you why they shouldn't instantly say no. I'll break it down for you, and my mind will stay singularly focused for a good 30 seconds. So stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. All right, we're talking Utah football tomorrow. We're going to have Jay Drew on. We'll talk BYU football as DJ's out for a few days. And joining me now is Kurt Craigthorpe from the Tribune as far as covering Utah. That's what he does for the newspaper. We're talking about ex- expectations for the Utes. And I think they're out of control because I think people would say if you asked them, would you take 9-3, and 6-3 and three in the conference, they would say no. And I think 9-3, and 6-3 and three is a pretty doggone good season, man. I've always believed that in this conference. You win double the amount of games you lose in conference. That's good. But, yes, I'm, I, I think most folks, you fans, would say no. I think that's stupid. I don't know that it's stupid. Again, you're entitled to have it's dumb unreasonable expectations as a fan. That's what it's all about. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you are, but that doesn't make it right. Entitlement doesn't make it right. Yeah, but, again, it, it all goes back to where, where you finished last year. And if you can go 6-3 and three, in the league last year, I mean, the circumstances they had, losing the first two conference games and having Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss get hurt in November and still go 6-3. and three. So I understand the logic that that if you get off to a better start, now I'm going to talk about that in a moment because I, I think those first two conference games are pretty dangerous at USC and at home against Washington State. But suppose, Of course. Yeah. So you, but if you if you do start better than zero and two in the conference, and you have your guys healthy all year, which you can't guarantee will happen, but you also don't start with the premise that it won't happen. Yeah. So I I understand where the fans are are coming from on that. Uh, I see. T- to me, expecting Tyler Huntley to play twelve games is ridiculous. He's zero for two. 
Why would I think he's going to do it this year? Yeah, but okay, but now, now you, at least you know you have a guy who can win conference games and Jason Shelley behind him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not so sure about that. So, but I, I he, don't know. he can win conference games, but can he win six or seven? He basically did last year. I don't think he did. No. I mean, yeah. okay, he, he beat Oregon, who was, and that's who was about one. the fourth best and, team. And you in got the me league. on that one. Okay, you got me on that one, but I could have beat Colorado. That True. was the sorriest senior day I have ever witnessed. Well, they had mailed it in by that point. That that, was they literally fired the coach the next day. Yeah, and uh, listening to him in his press conference where he's talking about the fires in California to avoid having to talk about the game, right. it was awful. Yeah, so, okay, so. Uh, and Shelley didn't do anything against Washington and didn't do a whole lot against uh, Northwestern. Right. So let's not anoint, anoint him Earl Morrow. Oh, I'm just saying. favorite backup just... quarterback of all time. <laughs> My brother and I used to know the name of every backup quarterback in the NFL. We thought that was the coolest job you could possibly have to get to stand on the sideline with a baseball cap and a clipboard. So, and, but now most teams have three guys, so it might be harder to know all 96 quarterbacks in the league. But, but I, I, when Gifford Nielsen was a backup quarterback of Houston Oilers, I, I thought that was about as, as good a job as you could have. And then, unfortunately, he had to actually play a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not saying Shelley can't come in and win a bunch of games, but I'm not going to base it on beating Oregon. All I'm saying is I'm I'm just arguing against your th- notion that if Huntley gets hurt and you're insisting that he will get hurt. I'm not insisting he's going to get hurt. I'm insisting that I'm not going to count on him being healthy okay. for 12 games. I'm just Okay, I'll grant you I that. I hope he is. Yeah, I'll grant you that, but what I won't grant is that there would be a big drop-off. That won't. That wouldn't be the reason that keeps Utah from winning six or seven games in the conference, in and of itself. So and you got Huntley being drafted, which I think you're up in the night on that. I, he was. He's the number nine guy on their team on my list of draftable players. You still had him being drafted. That's true. I and I agonized about that. <laughs> I didn't. There's no way that's going to happen as a quarterback. It's not inconceivable. Now, I, I will say this. Far fewer quarterbacks in total are drafted than anyone thinks are going to be drafted because basically more so than other positions, it gets to that sixth or seventh round and, and teams aren't going to invest a so, pick in a quarterback. You're, you're feeding right into, into this over-inflated ex- expectations because you've got him – as the ninth draftable guy, which means you got nine guys drafted off of this year's team. Well, that's okay. That wow. that I can defend. Okay, they better go eight and one. If you got half your team almost being drafted, well, now the 2016 team had eight guys drafted, and they played in the Foster Farms Bowl. Okay, a fine bowl. Yeah, but it's not the Rose Bowl. No, but you just said that that was their sixth year. This is their ninth year, and they should be primed because they've developed and gotten better each year. So back then, they didn't have the wherewithal and the depth, but now they've got they got the deepest defensive line. They got the deepest receivers. What don't they? They got okay. the deepest so cheerleading what? staff. Uh, I, I believe my publisher's daughter is still a cheerleader, so I, I have to defend the, <laughs> the cheerleading spirit They're team. They're awesome. They are good, and they are deep. Okay, but here, here's the premise. Okay, the depth comes into play if you have injuries. I mean, that's, that's just a— Not necessarily. 
most, but I think we can keep fresh on the defensive line. The defensive line is the one position where they rotate guys. And I'm not sure how that's evolved. I suppose because it's physically demanding to rush the passer You'd play think, after sure. play. Yeah. But that's literally the, the the one position area where where multiple guys play in a game. Correct. Basically speaking, if you have a receiver. Depending on personnel, there are personnel packages and things like that. So yeah, I but but no one talks about okay talks about using eight receivers in a game, but they talk about using eight defensive linemen in a game. Sure. So anyway, so I, I there's some value to depth, but but yeah, I I just I th- I think what you tend to do, and my flaw sometimes is I judge the world by Twitter. If I if I see a, a couple of people talking on Twitter about a certain thing, I, I tend to think that's the, the way the entire world is viewing something. And you seem to be saying the one guy on the street who won't accept a 9-3 and three season is speaking for the entire Ute fan base. I don't know how true that is. Oh, that's 100% accurate if I said it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's break that down on the next segment. <laughs> All right, we'll do just that. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Welcome back in Monday, June third. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK. David James is off. PK and KK, Kurt Cragthorpe of the Salt Lake Tribune, who covers the Utes for the newspaper, talking about Utah football expectations. And what did you say that I am completely out of touch with the listenership? Is that what you said? I think you overreact as I acknowledge overreacting sometimes. Now, the one thing I would point out is that a it's okay for fans to have expectations slash ambitions of the Rose Bowl but I I think people are basing that on the fact that that almost universally people in these preseason football magazines and websites now which are so prevalent are picking Utah to win the South so so for a fan to jump on that and say, "Yeah, we ought to win the South," I don't, I don't think you can say any any sense that that's an unrealistic. Nor, nor do I, but I think it goes beyond that. I think it's that well, we should be ranked in the top ten and go to the Rose Bowl this year. That's what you're setting the expectation. It's not about the South. It goes way beyond that. Okay, this now, year. yeah. So and that I I can almost. Agree with that, and that's dangerous, right? I, I I I do agree with your point on that because the other part of that is that all these predictions I'm referencing, I don't know if there's been one, and certainly I I think there may have been one person, one quote expert saying that Utah is going to play in the Rose Bowl. Otherwise, virtually everything else you see has Utah going to the championship game. But losing the championship game, whether it's Oregon or Washington, from the north, so you do. Who did we have on? Was it McMurphy? Didn't he have them? He might be the one guy because he had him tenth in the country. Yeah. Also, Stu Mandel had him twelve. But I don't think people quote people around the country are, are not saying that Utah is going to the Rose Bowl. They're saying they're going to play in the championship game. But but the, but I can forgive a fan for hoping slash expecting the team to get to the Rose Bowl because 
it's not that far away. I, I mean, I, I'm defending the fan who thinks that because if C.O.C. Mariner doesn't kick the ball up into Byron Murphy's hands, resulting in the only touchdown in the Pac-12 championship game last year, the Utes might have been very well in Pasadena. What if, what if they go down and kick a field goal and win that game 6-3? to three? It, it could have happened. If the, the refs get the right call on the two-point conversion against Oregon with the Devils, they don't even win the freaking division. <laughs> if the stupid Pac-12 refs suspending Merlin Robertson for a half in which Oregon scored 27 points and then he comes back in the second half when they scored three points... They're not even there. This whole th- Arizona, I mean, come on. Don't give me the if crap. All I'm saying is <laughs> they were in a re- realistic position to get to the Rose Bowl last year. So why can't they be in realistic position? They should be. To- but I think that the fan base has to have a realistic expectation. And my fear, if we carry it out, is that these kids get so swallowed up in it and they lose to SC, they lose to Washington State, the boos start raining down, and they get smothered by expectations. We've seen it a million times. So I'm saying just temper it a little bit, see what happens, root for the team, believe that they're good, they are good, believe that they should win the South because they should win the South, but there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. It's going to be hard. They're going. The reality is every season – they lose a game or two that they shouldn't. Well, and again, it goes back to the, what we talked about in the Pac-12. That's just the nature of it. And right. Washington loses to Cal last year. There you go. I knew I was forgetting one when I said Oregon State and uh, Colorado. Colorado, and that was right there. Yeah, especially as good as Washington was playing at the at the time. And yes. So yeah, so I'm, people in in Seattle were probably going crazy that week. Yeah, but see, that's the that's the very example because the expectations were so sky high for Washington, and it was viewed as a disappointing season. Was it? They played in the Rose Bowl. I think it was viewed yes, because I think they they viewed the Washington last year as playoff bound. Absolutely, with Browning coming back as a senior, but not once they lost to Auburn. And that, that's right it. So right off the bat, it was from that point on, we didn't even get to Labor Day, and it was a disappointment. That's my very point. Yeah. And so it, and we go up. Yeah, in Washington. But you're, you're allowed to reset expectations. But I don't think they did the in way. Washington. Yeah. I think it was always viewed as a disappointment. Browning was viewed as having to have a crappy senior season. Well, that, that's <laughs> see, that's another thing. And that, and that plays into the whole Tyler Huntley thing. And this is a whole – we could have done a whole show on this because I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. It's very hard for a senior quarterback to fulfill expectations. Okay. It basically hasn't been done in the state of Utah since Max Hall in 2009. You think about Utah quarterbacks, Utah State quarterbacks, BYU quarterbacks as seniors. They haven't lived up to what everyone thought they would become for various reasons, whether it was injury, whether the team around them didn't play that well whether the expectations were just too high. And so, is Huntley going to do that? He's coming in on what, his ninth coordinator? And we're overlooking that. That's not – all of a sudden, that's not an issue. Right. But I, I – <laughs> what I do think is this, this is the best coaching he will have had. So I'm, I'm thinking of that. Now, it, admittedly disruptive to, to go through Troy Taylor's system and then have it to have it the playbook – turned upside down. And in terms of the quarterback position, 
What Andy Ludwig is asking of Hundley is a lot more than Troy Taylor asked in terms of even assigning routes at the line of scrimmage to various receivers. That's part of the scheme. So there, there's a lot on Tyler's plate. But but I, I and again, you, you raise the specter of injury. I, I am fully convinced that if two things happen, if he stays healthy and one and, and he's protected well, I still have questions about how – good the offensive line will be but if those two things play out in his favor I think he will have a terrific year and I think he he will defy the history of senior quarterbacks around here from Jordan Wynn to Travis Wilson being an interesting case by the way we could divert to that he, he actually won 10 games his senior season but I don't think he walked away from here having the fan base think that universally giving him a high approval rating. Even though. I'd agree with that. So, so it, the offense seems like it's been the problem. Right, yeah. Not, not the yeah. solution. Yeah, and he, even even the last game against BYU in the Las Vegas Bowl, he threw for 90 yards or something. So I don't think people were totally satisfied with the ending of Travis's career is what I'm trying to say. So – so it'll be interesting to see if Tyler can be the guy who rises to the, the fan base expectations. And to your point, it may be asking too much of him. If, if the standard is getting to the Rose Bowl and people are going to be disappointed with Tyler's career if that doesn't happen, that, that probably is unrealistic. I'll, I'll grant you that. You got him going 3-0 in non-conference? Well, see, that's what's interesting. I'm not... I'm not guaranteeing a win over BYU. I don't know how even the most optimistic youth fan could guarantee. Well, and that blows up everything. Does it though? Yes. Okay. Here's here. Okay. That's the Auburn and uh, Washington all over again. Okay. If you lose to BYU and you go to the Rose Bowl, that's the greatest season in Ute football history in this decade. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. The, the, the whole post twenty thirteen. Everything started over with the Pac twelve membership, did. right? Okay. Agreed. Agreed. So, so, so you, it's, it's. I mean, at the point when they get to the Rose Bowl, at that point we'll say, okay, how did this compare to 04 and how did it compare to 08? But otherwise. Basically, what you're doing in evaluating Utah football is starting in 2011. Right, but you said that if you go 7-2, there's virtually no way you'll lose the division. I Can I argue if you lose to BYU, there's no way you go to the Rose Bowl? If you go down to Provo and lose, you're going up to Seattle and you're going to SC and winning? Yeah, I, 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 I admit that here's what happens. And to your point, is we, we put a lot into – the opening game. Why? Because it's our only evaluation point for the last nine months. So, so yeah, that's that's a, a huge game because it, it gives us some kind of gauge of the team. And it's a real game. It's not a big sky game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, I, I don't think it's inconceivable that Utah loses that game and still goes to the Rose Bowl. I just, I just, I just don't think that would totally derail everything here's why the season then they got northern illinois and idaho state so so now you're two and one and you're feeling reasonably reasonably okay here's here's that the loss would linger in the fans yeah, I don't mind know, i don't know you're feeling reasonably well good about yourself at two and one you lose to byu 
and this is the team. You're the deepest okay. at, at, at trainer, and you're you're the deepest everywhere possible. Right, deepest coaching staff you've okay, ever had. But, okay, there's there's best offensive coaching coordinating that he's <laughs> going to have since he's been there. You just said, and then you lose the first game. Right. Okay. Depends how you lose it as part of the deal. Now, what I'm acknowledging is the fans would take a long time to get over that loss. I'll never get over it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Secondly. Someday we're going to have a talk about Arizona State, by the way, because I worked with you for 16 years, and we used to talk much more about northern Arizona when you started your college career than about the Devils. But now all of a sudden you're the founder of the Sun Angel Club. Radio, dog, radio. Yeah, anyway. Don't give me up. I, I will acknowledge this, that I tried to call you with my list of demands uh, the day for, for the work I needed from you, it happened to be the the when the ASU played in the Rose Bowl, and, and I I acknowledged that I couldn't reach you pre cell phone era because you were out taking a walk around the block. I was I literally were, did that. <laughs> so so I I do acknowledge there's some attachment to Arizona State, but uh, to say you're a a relative of Frank Cush or something, this I think it's gone a little too bit too far. So where were we? You okay. got to play it up a little bit. <laughs> the fan, it would take the fans a long time to get over that game. But from a team standpoint, okay, if if you come out of September having beaten USC and Washington State but having lost to BYU, then everything's still right in front of you from a team oh, okay, standpoint. Okay, yeah, I agree with that, but... If they lose to BYU, could they do that? Because Washington, that's that's my whole point. Washington, it seemed like the air went out of the balloon because the standard was the playoff. Now, maybe it's a little bit different because you don't need to have any voting to get into the Rose Bowl. Right. You just need to win it. Right. And you'll go. So that, so it is different. And with the with the playoff, there's some human element involved with the voting. And so, but it just seemed like it was such a letdown. Their offense sucked so bad that they never really recovered from it. And I worry about. It. I'm actually picking them to beat BYU, so I'm not. I'm not worried about that because my line of thinking is I've decided, and I cited this a couple years ago, that I'm picking Utah every time these two teams play until I see otherwise. Sure, and that's how it's always yeah. been in history. I mean that that's why the '88 game is so seminal in Ute history and in rivalry history because nobody saw it coming that day, even though Utah was a pretty good team that year. Scott Mitchell had a terrific year, and Jim Foss's offense was really good. But to the point, when you showed up at the stadium that day, to say it was going to be 57-28 for Utah, I mean, no one in the world would have said that based on recent history. So, so yeah, so I, I agree with that premise. I also know from studying the history of the rivalry that nobody – Wins forever, right? So, but until that time comes, I agree. With I'm going to go with Utah. Yeah, that's and they're fair. not going to win forever. I get it, and they very well could lose this year. Right, and then next year I'll I'll see where we're at as far as making a prediction. But as far as right now, until I see the Utes lose, they find ways to win that become head scratching. You didn't think it was possible, but yet they do it. And then other times they may blow them out too. So and we all know the history of the rivalry. So, but I'm I'm going with Utah. Uh, I'm to me. That SC game is the seminal game of the season. Oh, I totally agree. They go down to the Coliseum on the 20th on a Friday night, and they win that ball game. Look out. 
Right, and conversely, if USC wins, then people will be saying the Trojans are contenders again. Well, actually, the Trojans, will, don't they have a conference game before then? Stanford. They always play Stanford yeah, right. the second week. So of they the might season. only be one and one. Right, but they'll still be – they still would – be in the driver's seat of the South if they beat Utah. And if they beat Utah, and they might actually be the best team in the state of Utah because the week before, they play BYU. So they'll claim the beehive boot. <laughs> yes. I'll demand that they <laughs> play Utah State in the Las Vegas Bowl to Because uh, they get uh, BYU the 14th, one thirty. That's a nice kickoff time. And then they get the Utes the following Friday, short week. But uh, they've got them back-to-back there as far as that goes. I think if they beat SC, then I think they're looking at one loss. I think going to Washington is going to be very difficult. Now, two years ago, I don't think you run the beat then. Uh, but I was at the game. Oh, as a columnist. Okay, yeah, yeah all right. Yeah, they should have won that ball game. Absolutely. I mean, I mean they just that – was, that was bad. They owned that, that game for – 58, eight, nine minutes of that game. It's still amazing to me how well the Utah offense played that night. Scored 30 points, had about 450 total yards. Absolutely. They look great. And yet could hardly get a first down against the Huskies last year in two games. So, Oh, and see, that's what worries me is last year's offensive line, you know, you had draftable, at least one draftable guy, and you got dominated. Now, granted, Washington isn't returning the same guys because they lose nine guys, but you got dominated in that game, man. The, Washington – owned the line of scrimmage in that game and that was shocking to see that that happened you just you looked awful in that game you couldn't do anything and almost the same scenario at rice eccles in september against the huskies you moved the ball a little bit yeah got one offensive touchdown but it was a struggle right that's what i'm saying in september it was and, you know, we hear, well, in the conference final, they didn't have Moss and Huntley. Well, when you had Moss and Huntley, you didn't do Jack against them earlier in the season. So that worries me on that game. I mean, I'm my number one most worried game about them losing or not winning is Washington 1, SC 2. Yeah, that's reasonable. And probably Washington State 3 because for whatever reason – Leach, I don't know if he's coming home to an extent or playing a team where, in this case, it's literally coming home to an extent. Uh, he didn't grow up here, but he's got family here, as I understand it. Uh, but he always seems to pull something out. And Washington State's a solid program. They they're, they're, they might be the most consistent team in the North over the last three or four years, actually. Except when we get to late November. Yeah, they have trouble against the Huskies, right. obviously. They always seem to lay an egg in the biggest – moment when everything is on the line they don't seem to come through all right we'll uh, continue uh, breaking down the schedule for the Utes uh, things that you think that you know it's all guessing and all that but things that you feel the most confident about in terms of wins and personnel we'll get Craig Thorpe's thoughts on that stay with us 975-1280 the zone 9 a.m. Slacker Reader headlines are brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. Well, the big headline, two big headlines. We'll get to some huge stuff here in a second. Kirk Craigthorpe sitting in for DJ. Two big headlines. The Warriors, even the series, obviously, now we'll see about their injuries. I think if they, if they don't have injuries, I think they win the series. 
Sure. Yeah. And then also the other news, Spanish media reporting that Ricky Rubio has said the Jazz told him that he's not a priority. I try not to get attached to these dudes, although I am the Angles. But I look at them as commodities, and I just want the team to do well. I think the Jazz need to move on from Rubio. Yeah, I don't know if him specifically, but I think in a general sense, you talk about fan base and expectations and demands, if that's the right word. Certainly, the Jazz can't come back with the same team. Right. So I I think people are ready to move on from just about anyone in that sense. The obvious candidates to not return are Favors and Rubio. Right. They're the free agents. Right. Well, if the Jazz don't pick up. So I, I think if, if on the di- day of exit interviews, April 24th or 25th, whatever it was, shockingly early, that no one thought that both Rubio and Favors would be back. Maybe right. one of them. Maybe. And you could make a case for which one, but but certainly not both. Yeah, so shooting has changed this league. You used to cover the Jazz way back when. Imagine the amount of three-pointers that they're taking now. Could you have predicted it back then? No, and it's almost an indictment to think that it took this long for people to realize that three is more than two mathematically. You talk about all the formulas and probabilities and everything else. Uh the Jazz had Daryl Griffith, probably the most underutilized player in franchise history, even though his number 35 is in the rafters behind me. But, uh, but yeah, somebody at some point figured out that uh, three-point shooting was the wave of the future. Man, there's no turning back now. Wouldn't you love to see Stockton come down on a three-on-one pull-up from behind the line? Yeah, and forget he, the hop, stop, bounce pass. Yeah, <laughs> and he did that a few times, but it was probably just barely. He probably took these mid-range shots that everyone uh, rails against now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're an outcast if you shoot those. But man. he was good at that on the break. Actually, that was one of his most effective shots. Was that pull-up jump? Right, and I think now if he played, he would have just moved it back. Absolutely, he would and, stop sooner. Yes, and I think that he would have the capability of lead the league in shooting percentage from three. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah because cause he, his shot selection was the, the key to his shot percentage as well as literally being a good shooter. But, but yeah, he, he made the right choice about shooting or passing nearly every time. Yeah, I think great players would always adapt. All right. We uh, have, if you want to give us a call in the last uh, 20 minutes, 855-340-ZONE. Let's go to Alan. Alan, you're on the line. Hey guys, hey, I just wanted to have a, uh, ask a question um, or a opinion. Um, you guys were kind of talking last week about the Jazz and the free agency, and was talking about how you know kind of need to upgrade, you know, on the the, the point guard, and then and then possibly kind of like a like a, a, a I guess what they call a a wing yeah. or a, a four that can shoot the ball, right. and that you know you're probably not going to get a top line guy at each position, but if you could get one or the other. I don't know what his contract situation is or whatever, but I was, I guess my thought was like, what if you went after, like say, say they could land Tobias Harris. Yeah. He's obviously kind of be going to be one of your, like a, your bigger free agent type of guys. What about somebody like the George Hill again? Is that even a possibility or is that just crazy? George Hill. Is that even a possibility? I wouldn't think so, but I, I, 
I like George Hill a lot. I think he's a big game player, can hit big shots. His toe, for whatever reason, couldn't stay healthy, so there was a lot of issues there. But yes, I, I, someone you can count on to make perimeter shots. Yeah, and I always default to offense and and specifically shooting. I just think it's so important in the NBA now. And and I always marvel at how few guys actually are good shooters in basketball. So if you can find guys like that, particularly when when you're built around Gobert and Mitchell, if you get if you guys I keep I, every Kyle Korver happens to be my all-time favorite jazz player. Above Hornacek? What are you thinking? Ease, <laughs> sacrilege, right there. How many honorary doctorate degrees does Hornacek have? Okay, so anyway, but well, I kept saying this past year: if 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 the Jazz could have had Kyle Kyle Korver of eight years ago, how great that would have been. So that's that's the kind of person and player I'm always. Lo- Looking for yeah, and I said that uh, a couple years ago. If they could have had Joe Johnson of X amount of years earlier, right? The professionalism he brought, yeah. combined with everything else, if he could have come when he was thirty, right. that would have been awesome. But having said that, Joe Johnson and George Hill to me have a place in jazz history because they were the the key figures along with Hayward. On the team that, that restored Jazz to winning a playoff series. Okay, they hadn't even played in the playoffs for four years. Right, and they and in 2017 they they won that series against the Clippers and and George Hill and Joe Johnson were were big reasons. So I'd take a George Hill today. I literally would take George Hill or a player like him. Somebody I don't need somebody to get the days of 12 assists seem long gone. I want somebody who can shoot. Right. For one thing, multiple guys get assists now. Right, exactly. It would be interesting to look back at the percentage of jazz assists that Stockton had in in his career. He probably, I mean, I'm probably exaggerating slightly, but he probably accounted for 80% of all jazz assists. During his time, yeah, I got it. I got you. Whereas now you're looking at five guys to get assists in games, right? Uh, five. Well, yeah. If you count some bench guys, not just uh, five starters, but yeah, uh, some guys who can move the ball. Uh, I understand that. All right, eight five five three four zero zone. Josh, you're on with PK and Kurt Craigthorpe. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good, Josh. Hey, you know, you know, we talk about this free agency, and and I, I, you know, and I've heard you guys break it down for a few weeks now on different, you know, different shows on the on the radio show here. And I think the Jazz, they're going to have to, dev- they're going to have to find somebody sort of court, so, kind of, bear with me now, kind of like Carlos Boozer, who was actually a very good player, but kind of people didn't recognize him as that yet. And they probably going to have to pay a little bit more. The guy I'm telling you they need to go get is Malcolm Brogdon. That is the man. If they got to pay $20 million, $25 million, he is going to be a max player. It's just that it hasn't it hasn't happened yet. I mean, a, a guy like you know, we're watching Pascal Siakam kind of develop right in front of our eyes and kind of show what he can be. They got to find somebody that's not there yet, but going to be there. And that's the number one dude on my wish list is is Malcolm Brogdon. That guy, he's a what is he a ninety? 
Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call, Josh. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon. Now he's a restricted free agent with the Bucks, so obviously under the rules with the restricted, they have the opportunity to match that, like they the Jazz did years ago with Hayward, and he got the big money. What was it from Charlotte? But the offer was ma- uh, matched, uh, so it's going to be harder to pry. But yeah, I would take that kid. Uh, I mean, he's just, and I use the word kid on purpose. He's just barely getting started. Now, he was the rookie of the year a couple years back. Second round pick, right? Wasn't he? Yeah. yeah so, he was. Uh, averaged uh, 15. Uh, shot 42.5% from three this past season. Now, he was injured. But played enough to where you're, you're putting up 42% of your threes. You're a player. Yeah, and, and again, going back to our discussion about today's NBA, that's that's a huge effective field goal percentage. Big time. Big time. To your point, it is t- it is tough to get a restricted free agent. I remember in, in the days when it seemed like every year the Jazz were signing a guy to an offer sheet and never getting him. I'm looking at you, Corey McGetty. That's the first name <laughs> that came to mind, exactly. So, okay, so how yeah, about, it's, how it's, about... worth, it's worth trying, though. How about Danny Green? Now, he's got the Spurs DNA. Yes, which is Jazz DNA. Exactly. It's Because we got Snyder, we got Lindsey, they're coming from there. Uh, have to have a connection somehow, whatever. It's almost like recruiting. You know, BYU gets this running back because who? The running back's coach knew him somewhere. Some, what was the connection? Well, we came from Rice, right? Well, I was thinking the other guy, oh, but yeah, okay. yeah, the the Williams kid, the Tyson. Tyson Williams. What's the, there's some connection there. They just didn't meet each other in the transfer portal. Jay Drew will know the answer to that tomorrow. There you go. There, you, thank you. All right, Michael, you're on with Kurt and PK on the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, Michael. You guys probably haven't talked about that. I I kind of like. Um, is a Terrence Ross from Orlando Magic. Um, I think right outside shooter can, can create his own shot, and and um, I don't think he's got to, to pay a lot to go get him. I, I do feel he is a, um, a, a unrestricted free agent. He is. Um, has anybody talked about that guy yet? Uh, we haven't as much, Mike. Uh, we will do it right now. Thanks for the call. Unrestricted free agent, uh, shooting guard, six six. You know, he averaged 15 a game, uh, so uh, he's athletic, and yeah, yeah, I, I think he's an upgrade. These callers have been great. This reminds me of the original days of sports radio when uh, there was a lot of interaction via phone, which it's all seems like it's all texting. and Yeah, you're right. Now, so this has been fun, and, and it's... To me, it, it speaks to a couple things. One, jazz fans are putting a lot of thought into this off season. Oh, absolutely, they're invested. Yeah, and it it, it kind of, and I think it's it because there's some, and, and and the NBA, the the way it works with the off season, is it's almost like a, a season in itself. It, it, there's there's big time. There's it's almost like you have expectations and goals uh-huh. and ambitions, uh-huh. it, and and for how fans hope this plays out. And I, I give credit to all these callers coming up with these suggestions. And 
it, it really drives home the point that the off season is is a kind of a tangible thing now, and there's outcomes and winners and losers, just like there isn't in the regular season. Well, we know two years. Well, yeah, two years ago Hayward chooses to leave. We thought that was the end. Turns out Mitchell resurrects it immediately. But once uh, Durant made his decision, that changed the course of everything. Right. So I mean, that's probably the extreme case. I grant you. But at the same time, here, the, the you know, there's three. The, well, I guess there's four ways to get better: draft, free agency, uh, trade, and internal improvement. And uh, there's still room. There's plenty of room for Donovan Mitchell to improve, and I think there's still room for Gobert to improve. So you got a couple of ways there. I'm not sure other guys on that. Or I guess Royce O'Neal can can improve, or at least getting more playing time to show what he can do and his production will improve. His game might not necessarily improve, but if he has more time and has the opportunity to show it, his production would improve. So that's still the same thing, however way you want to couch it. If he does that, that's good enough. Uh, but I think you, know, you get a 31-year-old Ingles, he, that's, that this is who he is. Corver, you already mentioned. Uh, Crowder probably is who he is. Uh, Exum, I hope he – I don't know what he is. I know he's hurt. That's all I know. I'm still not sure exactly what he is. But these guys that they listed, yeah. Uh, Terrence Ross certainly piques my interest. Brogdon has always piqued my interest. I don't think George Hill would be available. But a Terrence Ross, uh, yeah, unrestricted free agent, 15 points a game. Uh, plug that in there. If he can hit some threes in this offense that uh, Coach Schneider and his guys can get him open. Yeah, I would take it. I would take it. That's. A, I think there's going to be at least two significant moves, and I'm confident the Jazz are dealing from a position of strength to be able to make these moves. Yeah, it's an attractive franchise. Right. I I agree. They have so much to offer, and I think players today are sophisticated more so than they used to be maybe, and I think that they're going to understand all these types of things, and I think they're going to get the job done, and I think the team is going to be more improved when we get to September and October. All right, stay with us. We'll close up the show next, 97.5-1280, The Zone. Salt and pepper. <laughs> Let's hear that again. Salt and pepper. <laughs> That'll live on, Kurt. <laughs> that is... Drake Cragthorpe. <laughs> Actually, there was a rom-com movie where uh, Kate Hudson and uh, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. Is actress's name? It starts with the, it's like a Jennifer Jennifer Goodwin and mm-hmm. Kate Hudson did the dance to push it. <laughs> push from it. Salt and Peppa. Salt and Peppa. <laughs> <laughs> what a man, what a man, what a mighty good PK. Salt and Peppa. Kurt Cragthorpe, he who has lived in Utah 50 years this year, is getting a rap on us. And he's talking about, what's he talking about, Yuck? Salt and Peppa. <laughs> you knew what you were signing up for when you agreed to come in here. Oh, that man. song was even in a in a commercial where a guy was mowing his lawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? Push it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Geico commercial. Was it that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> I'm pushing it. I'm pushing it. Uh, one more time. Salt and pepper. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, you found your moment. This is your greatest achievement. You know, you can write the greatest stuff and do the best investigative whatever, but it's the nonsense that's remembered. <laughs> You're proof of that. <laughs> yes, I am living proof. I, I like to think I had a few good stories back in my day, but yeah, who cares? <laughs> just, just garbage, one-liners and stuff. Oh, I've seen it all! <laughs> Stupid stuff is what you're remembered for. I mean, geez, I got a contract, you know, it talks about all oh, your journalistic ability and that's why we're employing blah, 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 blah. And you never hear anything about that. You hear about all the garbage and the fun stuff and the stupid PK, stuff. PK, take it off, baby. Yeah, you hear that, man. The constant request every time I go to Rice Eccles in the north end zone. That's where that came from. I look hot in leather. What can I say? <laughs> I do marvel at the ability of your producers to produce these drops on demand. It's 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 pretty amazing how they quickly uh, summon these up. Yeah. yeah. And then the great one, Debbie. I mean, one of the greatest moments in sports radio. You don't really sound like a Debbie. Well, I've been one for a long time. All right. <laughs> we could play the Monson question now, but we only have three minutes left in the show. True story. It was a beautiful moment. That's another one, man. Where are you? <laughs> when he's done, he's not going to be remembered for all this great stuff that he did. No, he's going to be remembered for San Bernardino. Um, San Bernardino. <laughs> yes. It's just, it re- you know, it's funny, but it also. You know, how you hanging <laughs> on? Where are you? I'm in uh, San Bernardino right now. It also makes you think, great, that's my life's work. And that's what I'm remembered for. It kind of it's it's a little bit of a blow. You like to think you've made a great contribution to the world and to the community and and to the 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 the, the, the journalism, which is so important, and all these things. And and you're going to remember it for uh, how you hanging on. Where are you? <laughs> so, you're going to remember it for uh, you. You Chester Trailer, one of our faithful listeners. We met him a few weeks back. He's saying no knock on Kurt. A trip, Kurt, but I don't think the commentary completely reflected how big of a deal Utah's win in 1988 was to the Ute fan base. This was a team that went six and five, four and five in the whack, but its flagship station had commemorative mugs printed for beating BYU, and he's got a couple of the mugs right there. So I guess Call came up with uh, some mugs that 58, 57 to 28. I have no memory or knowledge of that game, but you were here at the time, and uh, they yeah, must, was, have, they must co- have went up berserk. Oh yeah, it was it was it was an awesome day. I I was sitting in about the fifth row that I was covering the Jazz in those days, but somehow got some tickets for that game and and went up there. I, I remember everything about it. Oh, you do? Was it a sunny day? Yeah, yeah. And it, was it was a beautiful late November day. Yeah, it was it was pretty nice. Also, the same day that my dad won his only Civil War game, uh, Oregon State beating Oregon. So you chose, oh, you probably had some jazz responsibilities so you couldn't get out of town. Right. Exactly. But anyway, yeah, that was a huge night. And that and that that interrupted BYU's winning streak, and, and it, it shows that uh, these things don't last forever. That's part of the intrigue of August 29th. Yeah, looking forward to it at 87 days. Kurt, thanks for sitting in. We appreciate it. Enjoyed it, as always.